0: Lord, that's what we celebrate today, the fact that it is finished. Um, There's nothing that that we could have done to finish it ourselves. We've actually created the reason that you needed to come because of our sinfulness. So God, this morning, as we take a look at the picture that you painted for us, of, of what it is you accomplished for us, of the power of the sacrifice, the power of a substitute, that, Lord, you would open our eyes and cause us to see the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. For it's in his glorious and wonderful name we pray, the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen, good morning, have a seat. Take your Bibles if you have them. If you don't have one, then uh, I'd encourage you, you can go to the back there, we got some Bibles on the stands, take out your smart device and uh, navigate to a Bible app or just reach over and steal the Bible of the person next to you. That'll be fine. Um, as you're turning to the book of Exodus, that's like my Bible automatically opens to Philippians, but today it's, it's Exodus. So as you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. I just want to kind of run through a couple of quick announcements with you, um, pertaining to a few different things. First this, the preaching schedule. Crazy as that sounds, I know you don't get half as excited about it as I do, um, But the preaching schedule is this, this morning we're going to go through Exodus 12, we're going to talk about the Passover. Next week, it's Easter, so we're going to talk about the resurrection, go figure. The following week, we're going to start a series talking about some of the things that Christians do and why we do them. Kind of the the overarching theme of that series is, uh, so why do we baptize? Why do we take communion together? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Why do we Sabbath? Uh, why do we evangelize? Why do we live lives of generosity? All of those different things and what the Bible says about those things and, and why we do them. And, and that'll take us up to, uh, I think it's June, the end of June, But then we're going to start a series for the summer. Now, I love doing different things for the sermon series in the summer. I love doing things that engage you. If you remember, uh, a couple years ago, we engaged our young people, and they chose the sermon series for the summer when they picked their favorite Sunday school stories. And an evil child of mine convinced all the young people to pick the book of Revelation as their favorite Sunday school story. Yes, yes, there's still punishment. You can continue to pray for his soul. Um, It was amazing. The kid should be a politician. I mean, he was able to convince like first through fifth graders, like you need to vote for Revelation. They were like, okay. Um, And they did. Uh, But um, this time it's your turn. Um, And instead of it being like a favorite Sunday school um, story, we're going to call our series Ask Anything. And over the next number of weeks, we are going to ask you to nominate sermon themes for July and August. So that means, if you're like, okay, you know what, I've always wondered about, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this, the Song of Solomon. That one's not going to make the list, I'm just going to erase it when it shows up, just so you know. But I've always wondered about the Song of Solomon, I'm just kidding, I've always wondered about the Song of Solomon, I've always wondered about creation versus evolution, and um, the, the, the literal 24-hour periods versus day-age theory, I've always wondered about uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, I've always wondered about all these different things. So what we're going to do is we are making a form available. It's up live on our website right now on the utown.org slash messages page. And you can put in what you would like one of the messages to be about. We are going to collect those for the next four or five weeks. At the end of that time, we'll, we'll kind of accumulate them. Some of them will actually probably be similar to each other. That kind of happens, uh, questions come in groupings. So we'll take those questions, and then we will post them for about four weeks where you get to vote And the top nine topics will be our nine week sermon series. The questions that don't get voted on um, actually will still be answered, but uh, we're going to do a few things like we did last summer with the book of Proverbs on Facebook and do a couple of Facebook videos, a couple of articles, different things like that to kind of help us answer some of those. So I'm excited about it. Um, I promise not to edit your suggestions and your votes. Uh, we will have election officials around just to make sure I maintain my integrity and character in these things. Some of you have already made threats. and I'm a little worried. Luke is not allowed to vote on anything. <laughs> That's how we do this. So I'm excited about that. So see, you'll see more information about that. It'll pop up on Facebook, a couple different places. But if you go to our website this afternoon, utown.org messages, you'll find the form there and you can uh, put your nominations in there. All right, enough of that stuff. Let's jump to Exodus. Let's jump to why we're here. We, we did a lot of singing this morning about the holiness of God. Do you notice that? And the holiness of God is one of those, those all-encompassing, awe-inspiring truths that we really can't wrap our heads around. God is so very holy, and you and I are so very not. And so trying to cross that divide is, is very difficult. And into, on top of that, our sin has offended his holiness, but in God's mercy and grace, his love has made a way to redeem us from our sins and to restore a relationship with him. And that is the meaning of an event called Passover. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in Exodus, we will spend most of our time in Exodus 12. We're going to look at the original story of the Passover, and, and our goal is to look at this story and to see both the severity of God's judgment, and the generosity of God's grace, because that's what arrives in the story of the Passover. A quick recap to catch you up to speed as to what's happening when we get into chapter 11. You know that God has called Moses to go back to Egypt to confront the Pharaoh, because the children of Israel, who the Pharaoh has enslaved, have been in captivity and being treated terribly, and the children of Israel have been crying out to God for deliverance, And so God calls Moses to go back to Pharaoh and to demand Pharaoh to release the children of Israel, and yet Pharaoh refuses to hear Moses' plea, refuses to obey God's command over and over and over and over. In fact, we get to see that Pharaoh thinks that he himself is a god, and so when Moses comes and says, the Lord said, let my people go, Pharaoh's response is, who is this Lord that you speak of? why should I obey him? I am certainly not letting these people go. And you know the story. If you've watched the original Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, or, or you watch the Prince of Egypt, those two kind of encapsulate and picture the story of the events leading up to the Passover, you get the, the ten plagues come upon the people. You start with water turning to blood and then you get frogs. And what was interesting about those two is that Pharaoh's magicians could duplicate the, the, the plague that God brought. And so God changed all the drinking water, all of the water in Egypt to blood, and then caused frogs to come out and just completely cover the land. And I find it very interesting. The magicians and all of their wisdom were like, hey, we can do that too. Watch. Bam. And they turned more water into blood and created more frogs because that's what they needed was more frogs. So is the foolishness of the world around us when they claim to be wise. The third plague comes and it says that Moses takes his staff and he hits the ground and the dust comes up and each particle of dust turns into uh, lice. And at that point, the magicians say, we can't duplicate that one. This is the finger of God. The fourth plague comes and the ground is covered in flies. The fifth plague, the livestock dies. Sixth plague, people are covered in boils and sores. The seventh plague, hail falls from heaven, destroying everything that it hits. The eighth plague, there's locusts that come in, eat up any of the the, the green that might still be around after all the previous plagues. And then the ninth plague, complete darkness. The Egyptian gods the gods of the Egyptian people, these these idols that the Egyptian people continued to worship were being dismantled one at a time because they had a, a god who was responsible to bring water to the people. They had a goddess who had the head of a frog. They had a, a god who was the god over the dust of the earth. They had the god who had the fly head, which was an interesting choice, but that's okay. You had a goddess who had the, the head of a livestock. You had god of health and prosperity. You had the god of the sky. You had the God of the animals and then the God of the sun, and each step of the way, Yahweh, the one true living God, just dismantled them. And you would think after nine plagues, Pharaoh would finally relent and let the children of Israel go, but he doesn't, and it gets heated. Look at me if you would. In Exodus 11, I just want to read this one, one part. Exodus 11, verse 4, Moses is, is standing face to face, and he's confronting Pharaoh, and he says this, this is what the Lord says. It's time for a tenth plague. About midnight, I'll go throughout Egypt. And every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl at them, so that you may know the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel, and and all of these officials of yours will come to me, Moses, and they will bow down before me and they will beg me to get out of Egypt, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I'll get out. Moses left Pharaoh's presence fiercely angry. Moses was torqued. Pharaoh continued Refuse and what Moses said is because of your refusal to listen to God's call, because of your refusal to let the children of Israel go, on a certain night, God is going to visit Pharaoh and his people, and every firstborn son will be taken in death. I think the first thing that stands out to us when we consider this tenth plague is that God's judgment is awful, but I think you'll also see it's fair. God's judgment is awful. The death of every firstborn male is an atrocity. It brings terror and horror. As Moses spoke of it, there will be weeping in Egypt that has never occurred before and will never occur again. The heartache and heartbreak. God's judgment is awful, but it is fair. See, God's judgment comes after much patience. I think for many of us in this room, we, we've we questioned God's timing a number of, a number of different ways and, and have cried out to God and said, so, so God, when are you going to, why haven't you, this person's, why don't you just, you know, come on, God, why don't you? And Second Peter reminds us this, the Lord doesn't delay his promise as some understand delay, but instead he is patient, not wanting any to perish, that all should come to repentance. When you think about the patience of God, you think about the delay in time of God, it's not because God is doing something else. It's because he longs for everyone to come to repentance. So as long as you are running from God but still have breath in your lungs, there is still an opportunity for you to repent. So today is the day of salvation. Repent. Because one day his patience will be no more. See, God's judgment is awful, but God's judgment is fair. He is patient. Think about this. This isn't the first plague. He's given Pharaoh nine chances. And on top of that, the, the, the way that Pharaoh was treating the Israelites, go back. Remember why Moses is even still alive? Because his parents threw him in a basket and tossed him in the river, hoping that Moses would be able to avoid the death penalty that had been passed down upon all male children of the Israelites. And he's miraculously plucked from the Nile River by Pharaoh's own daughter in God's perfect irony. God's judgment is, is, is awful, but it's fair. But I think the other thing we need to understand is that God's a God of grace. And while he still promises judgment, fair judgment, awful judgment, but fair judgment, he also provides an escape. See, what's interesting is is with this last plague, God then calls his children of Israel to actively seek a refuge in, of all things, a lamb. A lamb. Let's let's read. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 12. Why don't you follow along with me because I think what you'll see here is the specificity that God wants the children of Israel to follow him with. It says in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron while they were still in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year now. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. Let me let me stop and offer some commentary as we walk through this. First, you, you understand that this plague and the, the mercy and grace that God had given them by by laying out the plan for the Passover is, is something so significant that, that now their entire calendar is going to revolve around it. He's hitting the reset button and saying this is the moment that Israel's um, um, history and, and constitution as a nation is going to begin. Right here, this is day one. And what I want you to do on the 10th day of that first month, I want you to take a lamb for yourself and for your entire family. And then verse 4, if the household is too small for a whole animal, then that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people, And you should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. So if you've got a small family that's never possibly going to be able to eat an entire lamb, then what you do is you find a neighbor who also has a small family, and you invite them over, and you have a little bit of fellowship time. He continues, verse 5, you must have, as this lamb, an unblemished animal. A one-year-old male. You can take it from either the, the sheep or the goats. No blemish, no marks, no... No no, no um, defects. Verse 6, you're to keep it until the 14th day of the month. Let me, let me just point this out for a second. So, so um, God's command is t- on the 10th day, I want you to go out to your flocks, and I want you to get an unblemished one-year-old lamb, and I want you to bring it into your home. And then on day 14, what does he say you're supposed to do? <laughs> On the 14th day of the month, the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. So parents, let's bring in this precious little lamb so that your children can play with it for four days. And then at twilight, try to distract the kids. Because the entire group of people need to slaughter that lamb. It's a pretty emotional moment, isn't it? At twilight, they slaughter the animal. Verse 7, they must take some of the blood of that animal, and they put it on the two doorposts, and on the lintel of the house where they eat them. So they go back home after they have slaughtered the lamb. They they have the bucket that has caught the blood of the lamb they just slaughtered, and they take a hyssop, and they, they, they brush it onto the, the doorpost, and then onto the lintel above, and, and then it continues. Verse 8, they're to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roast it over the fire, along with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. Don't eat any of it raw. Don't Uh, cook any of it in boiling water, only roasted over a fire. Only grilled meat. There is a godly application to be had right there. (laughs) I don't know about you, I grew up in New England, some of the Irish traditions, they used to boil meat. It is atrocity. God here sets the plan. No, no, you don't boil it. You don't eat it raw. You must grill this meat, and you eat it that night. Verse uh, 10, you must not leave any of it till morning. Any of it left till morning, you must burn. So you take your leftovers. There's no doggy bags. If you've got any leftover, you burn it in its entirety. And here is how you must eat it, verse 11. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, Your staff in your hand. You're to eat it in a hurry because this is the Lord's Passover. Get it to go. Think about that for a minute. I don't know if you did this. I did it as a kid. You ever get excited about a trip you were taking one day that you had to sleep that night? You were so excited about the next morning getting in the car and driving wherever it was that at night before you went to bed you actually got dressed Completely changed into the clothes you were going to wear for your journey. And then when mom walks in, <laughs> she was not necessarily happy you had done that. I can't wait. I'm going on this trip. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm longing for this, this day. I want to go. God says to the children of Israel put your shoes on, eat quickly. I know you've been in slavery for over 400 years. But deliverance is here. You know what's interesting about that? They hadn't seen deliverance yet. They were still eating the meal. The, the destroyer, as, as uh, Exodus 12 talks about, the angel of the Lord, the destroyer hadn't come yet. Pharaoh hadn't released them yet. And yet they were still to eat like they were ready to walk out the door because at any moment, freedom was theirs. So they were supposed to eat like that. So hear me, that's the way you and I are supposed to live. Live ready for what's coming because it is coming. And one day, all of that has been promised to us. All of the the eternity that has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ Everything that God has promised to lead us into, the places he has promised to lead us to go, it's no longer going to be something we look forward to, but it's going to be something we get to experience in that moment. It is as sure as done. Get your shoes on. Life's difficult. It's intense. It's filled with stress. It's filled with with, uh, just just things you don't you don't expect. It's filled with questions. It's filled with heartache. It's filled with difficulty. This is not telling you that God's going to remove all those things once you find Jesus Christ. That's not what this says. There's still difficulty. There's still heartache. There's still persecution. There are still men and women around the world who love and know Jesus Christ who are being put to death because of their allegiance to him and him alone. This does not promise those things go away. This promises that God will come through on his promise. Which is one day he has gone to prepare a place for us. One day he's coming back. And he's going to take us with him. You got your shoes on? Are you living like that? Look at verse 12 of Exodus 12. He says this, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. God says, I am coming to Egypt. I am going to kill the firstborn uh, males and I will judge the the, the gods of Egypt and now they will know who I am. Remember Pharaoh saying, I don't know who he is. He's going to remember his name now. Look at verse 13. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's uh, skip down to verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them this, Go, select an animal from the flock according to your families, and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, "'Dip it in the blood that is on the, in the basin "'and brush the lintel and the two doorposts "'with some of the blood that's in the basin. "'None of you may go out the door of his house "'until morning. "'When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt "'and he sees the blood on the lintel "'and on the two doorposts, "'he will pass over the door "'and not let the destroyer enter your houses "'to strike you. "'So keep this command permanently "'as a statute for you and your descendants.' When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you're to observe this ceremony. So when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You're to reply, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. He passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. The Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night Pharaoh got up, he along with all of his officials and all of the Egyptians, and there was loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He called for Moses and Aaron during the night, and he said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks, take your herds as you have asked, and leave. And while you go, bless me. So the judgment that God had promised, the awful judgment of God, the fair judgment of God, came to pass. And what we find in this is that there was only one escape from that awful judgment of God. It was the blood of the Lamb. God was teaching his people in this moment the principle of substitution. One life for another life. God was teaching the children of Israel. It doesn't matter that you're an Israelite and you are mine. It doesn't matter that you are, are, are a Hebrew. It doesn't matter about your heritage. It doesn't matter about your family. It doesn't matter about your righteousness. It doesn't matter about your morality. It doesn't matter about your church membership. If you depend on any of those things in this moment, if you walk out of the house and leave the place that is covered by the blood of the Lamb, you will meet the same end as the Egyptians. And that morning, every house in Egypt either had a dead son or a dead lamb. You can't depend on anything else, only God's provision of grace. And God... Wanted them to remember this principle. God wanted them to remember this substitution. And so he, he so wanted it to be ingrained in them and become a part of who they were. He instituted the Passover meal to be celebrated annually in Israel. He wanted it to remind them of God's terrible judgment and God's generous grace. He wanted the, the blood of the Passover lamb every year as they participated in this meal. Every year this would remind them of God's gracious Redemption and protection. It would remind them that while they were in Egypt, they didn't do anything to earn the rescue from God. They didn't deserve the rescue from God. But they received deliverance, they received redemption, they received protection because of God's grace by taking shelter under the blood of the spotless lamb. Any of this sound familiar yet? So it's um, uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York. He said this, it's interesting. <clears throat> so, so let me set, that, set it up this way. You, you know the rest of the story. So now um, Pharaoh has said to Moses and Aaron, you take everything, you take whatever you want, you take the, the herds, the flocks, you take it all and you go. You just get out of Egypt. And, and it's interesting that, that God had so turned the people of Egypt <laughs> so that the people of Israel were going to their Egyptian neighbors and saying, hey, do you have any silver I could have? And their neighbors are like, here, take it all. Just get out of here. And so they left. I mean, they plundered Egypt without, without lifting a finger. They won one of the greatest military victories in the history of the world. And no soldier showed up for duty. And as they leave Egypt, the, the million plus. Israelites leaving Egypt, being led by Moses, who is following, remember, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of smoke by day, which is the the very presence of God who is navigating them out of Egypt and leading them through uh, the wilderness, leading them to the promised land with all its bumps and crevices along the way and how that went so wonderfully. But but the reality is these things are happening. So if somebody is standing outside of Egypt and here comes this, this crowd of people, this parade of people going by, if you were to stop one of them and ask them, So, so who are you and what in the world is going on? Their answer would be this. See if it sounds familiar. I was a slave. I was under a sentence of death. But I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. And now I'm free. And now, see that pillar up there? Now God lives in our midst. And we're following him to the promised land. See, the the great redemptive act of the Old Testament known as Passover is a picture that God painted for his people of what was to come in Jesus Christ. God's judgment is real and it's awful, but it's fair. Because he's He judges sinners, which every single one of us is. And there's only one way for us to stand safe and forgiven as the judgment of God pours down, and it's to trust in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other means of escaping. It doesn't matter how long you've been a member. It doesn't matter how many times you've read through the Bible. It doesn't matter what types of degrees you have, or how many hours of volunteer service you have at VBS or Sunday school. It doesn't matter how you live versus how the rest of the world lives. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have the right theological answers in your head. i um so this morning um, doing my last read throughs and stuff, I made a comment to a few people that were here and just said i i, I get it i'm just not passionate about it until about eight forty four this morning when i um I felt a heaviness. <laughs> because I fear for many of you. Yeah, that's not how I talk. That was very pastoral. I'm scared for you. I think that a lot of you, um, if you were to be standing before God in this moment, and I'll use something that another organization uses, if you were to stand before God in this moment and, and He greeted you and just said, So, okay, let me tell you. Ask you this question (laughs) Why should I let you into heaven? Um, I'm actually, I'm scared that many of you, your answer would be because uh, I know who Jesus is. Um, Because I. um, I can answer the questions of a theological nature. And the problem is if your answer is anything but because Jesus is my Passover lamb then you and God are still at odds. Because the only thing that brings peace the only thing that brings deliverance and protection is the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That there's no other answer. The only way to stand safe in God's awful, just and fair judgment is to trust in the blood of the Lamb. Fast forward 1,400 years, from when this occurs. And there is a man, um, a different kind of dude, (laughs) eats some strange stuff, which some of you can identify with. You eat some strange stuff. Dresses very, um, we'll say exotically, with camel skin. I don't know if any of you wear camel skin right now, but but he wasn't known for how he dressed or what he ate. He was known for his powerful prophetic message that he continued to declare over and over and over again. And then one day, as he stood by the side of a river, he looked up. He saw this man walking towards him. And his comment was this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to say the same thing to you. And it doesn't matter how long you've attended church. It doesn't matter how well-worn your Bible is. I want to say the same thing to you. Today, behold the Lamb of God. And behold doesn't just mean, hey, look, or hey, check this out. It doesn't mean any of that. It it means stop everything that you are doing, everything that you are thinking about, and set your gaze on the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Look at nothing else. Think of nothing else but him and his perfect sacrifice for you. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God himself, showed up as a baby, lived a perfect life that none of us could live, and in that perfection fulfilled the entire moral law of God. And then willingly laid his life down on a cross for you. For you. You don't deserve that. But the full measure of God's justice should have been poured out on you. But instead, Jesus took it on himself. He's laid in the tomb, he's buried. Then on the third day, he rose again from the grave and he conquered sin and death with power and with authority. Go ahead. The best part is when, um, when he did that. So think about that. If you're, um, there's a phrase about dropping the mic, right? You, you make, make the comment, you, you throw a good zinger at somebody, or you give this incredible motivational speak, uh, speech and you drop the mic and you walk out. Jesus could have easily kicked down the door of that tomb and just looked at everybody and said, "See you, boys," and took off. But instead, he spent time with his disciples, and he reminded them of something very precious. I'm going to go. but I'm coming back. And when I come back, it'll be forever. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Would you gaze at him this morning? Father, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, we deserve none of that. We deserve your judgment, your wrath to be poured out on us. But God, you, you provided a way. Lord, this morning I'm going to ask very specifically <laughs> that you do a work in the hearts of those who are sitting here this morning who don't know Jesus Christ as their Passover Lamb. God, for those who, who may who very well may have been attending Uniontown and other churches for a very, very long time, but, but they're still dependent on the wrong stuff. Lord, would you rescue them now? Would they just simply cry out <laughs> that they're a sinner and that you are the Savior? Father, would they rest in the finished work of the cross? remembering that it is, in in your blood, it's done. Father, would they rest in the fact that your grace and acceptance is given to them not because of what they've done, but because of the perfect sacrifice that you offered to them. (laughs) So Lord, um, open our eyes. Every one of us. we can see you more clearly. Amen.